0: Okay, so we're glad f- for your presence with you this morning. I'm going to shoot like a mad dog. I'm going to try to let you out, not early, on time. <laughs> What's supposed to be on time, and uh, see if we can't make something of this. We're into um, the the parable of the four soils in Mark chapter four. So if you want to be turning there, Mark chapter four, and. I understand that we could park here for a long time. This, this parable could, t- could take a while. Uh, of all the parables that Jesus spoke on this particular day, this is the only one that's recorded in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. Of course, it's not mentioned at all in, in John's Gospel. So it is an important parable. As a matter of fact, Mark, in this particular case says in so many words. If you can't understand this parable and the parables that I'm going to be teaching you today, then you won't understand any of them because they all build upon one another. And so this is the foundational parable. And we need to understand it in order to understand like the parable about the leaven and the mustard seed and the fishes and, you know, the whole works. The Pearl of Great Price. We need to know about this parable if we're going to know the rest of them. And so we begin in Mark chapter one, and I'm, I'm hoping to make it down to chapter uh, verse 20. And that's so I'm going to read that far today and we'll see what happens there. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And again he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables, and said to them in his teaching, listen, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Verse 7 says... And some good seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no crop or no fruit. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some 30 fold, some 60 and some a 100. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some hundred. Now, obviously, this is not to, to unsaved people. We've already seen from this the first three chapters at least here in, in Mark's gospel, plus what we've already investigated uh, and looking at other portions of the gospels that these disciples have already met the Lord. They've already heard the preaching of John the Baptist for the most part. They've been coming out to him in droves as it were to be baptized by him. Although this was down in the Judean wilderness and they have responded. And now here in verse 1 again it says he began to teach by the sea. This is not the first time. And he also tells us that it was the well Mark doesn't tell us, Matthew tells us it was on the same day. The same day as what? Well, the same day as the events that took place in chapter 3. And this, of course, is where he he um, had the withered hand restored on a man. It's the same day that he appointed his 12 disciples. It's the same day in which um, he, was, he was accused of casting out demons by the chief demon, Beelzebub, on this very same day. He goes down by the sea. This time, he actually gets in a boat. Back in chapter 3 and in verse uh, 9, it says he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept. It's a different word. A small boat. The word over here in verse 1, or is it verse 2? Verse 1, he got into a boat. That's a different word for a boat. It's a little larger boat. And he got into that boat and he removed himself from the shore because of the great crowd. And you'll see there that it says that a great multitude was gathered. And the implication seems to be that this was the largest crowd that had been around Jesus at this point in time. And they were pushing on him out towards the edge of the sea. And so he climbs in the boat uh, and rows out a little ways. I'm, I'm sure he didn't do the rowing. Somebody else did. He sat down and began to teach. Now, much has been made about the fact of the acoustics and the benefit, benefit uh, of him being out on, this, on the sea here. And, and it is true. If any of you have ever been out uh, in a quiet place on a lake, with fishermen out on the lake, they can be talking in a normal voice, and you can hear them. Um, I've been in that situation several times, uh, and of course, if I was out there, I know good and well they'd hear me, because I don't talk much in a normal voice. I talk real loud most of the time. Um, that's why I never got away with anything in school, especially in study hall, because <laughs> they knew my, they could catch my voice real quick. Um, So Jesus got in this boat, he sat down, and quite frankly, just the very act of sitting down was an indication to the crowd that he was about to teach, because that was the normal posture for teaching. And so when he sat down, says the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea, or towards the sea. It's amazing how Mark has such a brief gospel, and yet he's the only one that gives us this little tidbit of detail of how the whole crowd faced the sea. But of course, in this northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, where the city of Capernaum was located, there's a gently sloping hillside coming down to the sea. And so, with them sitting in or standing on this hillside and Jesus down here in the boat looking up towards the crowd it made an absolutely perfect place he didn't need one of these he was able to speak in a very normal tone of voice and the geographical acoustics there made it possible for an entire crowd, the largest crowd apparently that he had taught up to this point, to hear him perfect, perfectly well. And in this situation, he begins to teach them in parables. Now, if we went back to Matthew's gospel, he gives us the reason why he began to teach in parables. And of course, a parable I think we're well aware, um, is, is something that you put alongside something else in order to make the teaching or the understanding of it clear. It just means to cast alongside of. So Jesus is using this illustration of a sower going out into a field, sowing some grain in order to teach a very important spiritual truth. As a matter of fact, parables are designed to teach spiritual truth. Spiritual truth is not readily comprehended by a lot of people, as we're going to see in this parable of the soils. Not everybody can understand what Jesus is teaching or what he's trying to say. And so it behooves us then to pay careful attention To what Jesus is teaching here, so that we understand exactly what he was trying to get across to the crowd standing on the seashore. And know also that I'll refer to Matthew's account and I will refer to Luke's account of this parable. But as I said earlier, in no way are we going to go into this in such detail that it's going to take weeks uh, to go through it. We want to move along as Mark does rather speedily with haste and to catch the drift of what Mark is trying to communicate in his account, knowing, member who his audience is. Romans. People from Rome. This is, this is not for written for people in Israel, but for Gentiles. So keep that in the back of your mind as well. Now, he te- it's amazing here. The very first thing that comes out of his mouth is listen. Or if you're looking at the King James, it's hearken I like the word hearken because it it gives a little stronger force to it. Hearken. Pay attention. Listen to what I'm about to say. Behold. Look. It comes from a word that means look. Behold. Look at this. A sower went out to sow. Now, in this particular area, even though there was this sloping area down by the sea there was also gently rolling land that was agricultural. As a matter of fact, um, from what I understand, it's one of the richer areas for agriculture in Israel. And so this made a perfect illustration. The people would be well aware of exactly what Jesus was trying to communicate to them. Now, when he says he went out into a field, again, let's disassociate from ourselves, our Western mind, because when I think of a field, I think of a field, when I was a kid growing up, of maybe 10, 15, 20 acres. Now, if you think about a field, you think about a field with farmers today, you better be thinking of one about two or 300 acres, or 400 or 500 acres, or more, depending on the location. I think about the farms back where my mother lives or where my uncle lives. All the fences have been torn out, all those are gone, and these farms are just one huge mongous, big field. Well, quite frankly, a field in Jesus' day might not have been any bigger than this room. Or matter of fact, even smaller. And it was divided by rows of bushes or pathways, as we find out in our parable here, where the, the people would walk and make their way out to the various fields. So that's the scene. And that's what we want to look at and, and keep in mind as we contemplate what Jesus is going to teach them now. And it says there, he went out to sow, and it happened. As he sowed, or it's present tense here, as he was sowing, Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? When the sower went out to sow, as he was sowing the seed, this is what happened. Four different things happened here that he's pointing out to us. Some of the seed, he says, fell by the wayside in verse 4, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Well, that makes sense. If you've got a a wayside, a path, and it's been walked upon by several people and it's packed down and sort of hard and the seed falls on that and it cannot be covered up, it's a perfect place for the birds to come and take up the seed. It's gone. In the second situation, he says in verse 5, some feet uh, fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. Now, again, there's a couple possibilities here. Um, Maybe along the pathway, rocks were strewn as they were taken out of the field. Or Some think even more likely that underneath the soil there was rock. I know we're very familiar with that around here. Some yards that you go to just don't have any depth of soil. There's stone under there, might only be about that deep. And when the drought of summer comes and things begin to dry up, what part of the yard gets brown first? The part where the stone is under the ground. that could be located maybe in several places around the field. There might be such places like that. Well, the result of it all, he says, is when the sun came up, it was scorched. And the reason why is because it had no root and it withered away. The depth of soil just was not productive. So you had hardened soil. Now you have a little bitty shallow soil, who knows, for wheat to grow or barley, it wouldn't have to be super deep, so it was pretty shallow. And because of it, it withered away. Then the third situation, verse 7, some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit or no crop. Now, in this situation, we're thinking about thorns that most likely had been burnt off the previous year or cut down, but the roots were still underground. They weren't visible at this point. So when the seed was sown, it was sown among thorns, and the idea was is that the thorns would grow faster than the barley seed or the wheat seed, and it would spring up and crowd out the wheat or the barley so that it couldn't produce anything. And then, lastly, he says in verse 8 but other seed fell on good ground, which was the most ideal place for the farmer to be sowing his seed, some place where it would yield a crop, he says, that sprang up, it increased and produced, it grew up to its full maturity and it produced fruit, it multiplied into 30 times as much, 60 times as much or 100 times as much, all out of one little grain of wheat. The production was very abundant And the admonition that the Lord gives in view of that teaching without having said anything else to the crowd, anything to the multitude, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, if I was standing in that multitude and I had heard Jesus teach this parable, and you can put yourself in the multitude as well, Without Jesus being able to, or being there to explain it to you, how many of us think we really would have grasped the spiritual import of what Jesus was trying to teach the people? I think sometimes I might have been so dull, it would have gone right over my head. I don't know that I would have picked up on it. Now, had they understood the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, as they should have, maybe they would have grasped it. But we find out that even the disciples had to ask Jesus about this parable. And so we find then in um, verse 10, he said, when he was alone... Those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. Now there's something I think we should note immediately right here. Note that little phrase, those around him with the twelve. We have a division being set up already between the multitude and then the disciples, those around him, and then the twelve. And that's what this message is designed to do. It's designed to make a distinction. And so in verse 11, he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. To you who? To you disciples. Not just the twelve, but to the disciples, as opposed to the larger multitude To know the mystery. Now here it's singular. In Luke's account, it's plural. The mysteries. But it's simply the hidden truths, the secret truths about the kingdom of God. There are some things that simply are not available to everybody when it comes to the kingdom of God. And he's going to go on to explain to the disciples how this is. He says, To those who are on the outside, all things come in parables. In other words, I'm not going to directly teach you about the kingdom of God. I'm going to give you an illustration common one. Everybody will know about it. It's something from everyday life, and you'll know what I'm saying. But those of the multitude won't be able to comprehend it. It won't sink in. They won't perceive, is the word the scriptures use. They won't perceive with the seeing eye it's sort of like when you and I are we're trying to explain something to somebody. It's a difficult concept to grab, something abstract, and then they go, "Oh, I see." Well, you can't see an abstract thing, can you? But you can comprehend it with the eye, with the you know, and, and perceive it, and grasp the truth of it. And that's what's happening here. To those who are outside, they come in, it comes in parables, this teaching about the kingdom, because they cannot perceive it. They don't see it. And so, he goes on in verse 12, the New King James says, so that. Now, the, the little Greek word there that translates that is a, called henna, and it's very common. And it simply means in order that or for the purpose of. So the parables come to the multitude so that or for the purpose that seeing, he says, they may see and not perceive. They can see what Jesus is saying, but they can't perceive in the depth of their heart. You say, well, it doesn't say anything about heart. Well, just wait a minute. We're going to come to that. But that's where it takes place. It takes place in the individual's heart. And then he goes on to say, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Now, this is always an enigma because you would think that the whole idea here would be to show them what the truth is so they could perceive, so they could see, so they could repent and have their sins forgiven. But the problem was they already had hardened their hearts before Jesus ever taught this parable. It's kind of a reminder of Pharaoh He tells us there, you know, in Exodus that God hardened Pharaoh's heart until we examine the scriptures and we find that Pharaoh had already had a hard heart before he was ever approached by Moses to let his people go. And we have the same situation here. Isaiah, this is a quotation from Isaiah, Isaiah is saying the same thing about the people of Israel. Their hearts had become so hardened towards Yahweh, the Lord, that when they heard the truth, they were not capable of catching the spiritual implications of that truth, though they could see it with the eye, but not perceive it. And there's a difference for all, there's a difference when we can see things and we can know the truths regarding the word of the kingdom, as Matthew calls this, but yet not understand. As a matter of fact, it's interesting to me, in Mark's gospel, he always just calls it the word. When anyone hears the word, well, finally then, we look at verse 13, and he's going to give the explanation for this parable. Because the disciples are perplexed. They want to know, what does it all mean? But he chides them in verse 13, do you not understand this parable? Or, it's theoretically possible, the Greek scholars tell us, that this could just be a statement. You don't understand this parable. <laughs> But but I think the question fits perfectly well here. How then will you understand all the parables? I don't know for sure that this means all the parables that Jesus ever taught, but it certainly means that every parable that Jesus taught that day, and this was one busy day of teaching, and he taught a whole lot more parables that are told here in Mark's account. And we have to go to, Uh, Matthew's account and the Luke's account to get all the parables. There were several taught that day. And the implication seems to be that this parable then builds as stated earlier upon this parable, all the rest of them. We cannot comprehend apart from comprehending this one. So that makes this a real keystone parable. We've got to get it down. We've got to know what he's talking about. So in verse fourteen, he begins to explain the sower sows the word. Now I think that one's pretty basic. A sower's uh, going out in the field. He, you know, he's got his little grain bag here on the side. It, it's fastened over his shoulder. He's reaching in his hand, and they would, you know, sow seed this way. They didn't have a John Deere with the big twelve row or sixteen row planter behind them. Of course, we know that. He's doing it by hand, and he's just scattering the seed. That's why some of it landed on the pathway. Some landed in the stony ground area. If he could have avoided those places, he probably would have, but it wasn't a perfect situation, as none of ours are. And he says in verse 15, these, and focus on the word these, because that's going to be important in a moment. These are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Now think about that for just a moment. You have a hardened pathway where the seed could not get down into the soil. It was not possible for it to even grow one bit. But yet Jesus says it made it to their heart. So why couldn't they comprehend? Why couldn't they see this? Well, because their hearts were just as hard as the pathway. It was incapable now, I know that sometimes you and I might think of somebody who's just, you know, antagonistic to the gospel, and they're outwardly, they're just vehement, they're full of hatred. Matter of fact, I was, I was looking for some kind of an image that I could project up here this morning about the four soils. I, there must have been like a hundred or more, and I didn't like a single one of them. There wasn't a one that, that, I, that I liked. But in one of the pictures, it showed four different people and their reaction to the the sowing of the seed. And guess what? The first one had this real angry-looking face. That is not the scene. That's not the picture. They would be very normal-looking people. Could be churchgoers very happy, very content just to attend church week in and week out. That's, that's the, the picture here is of a person who heard the word of the kingdom. And it got down to their heart, and that's as far as it could go, and no farther. As a matter of fact, I also find it very interesting that in that kind of a person, in the preaching and teaching of the word of the kingdom the devil Matthew's account says the wicked one Mark here just names him the Satan is very active in that very moment and he comes and snatches the seed away takes it out of their heart and it's gone it's pretty difficult for even that kind of a person to meditate and think upon what they've just heard when their heart has been that hardened. As a matter of fact, I think it's Isaiah that says their heart's fat. <laughs> In other words, they just, they've got so much fat around their heart that it the word can't get to their heart. They can't understand. doesn't mean it's an obese person. He's just saying, you've got fat around your heart and you can't, even hear, you can't even hear what's being said. You can't comprehend these things. And so Satan comes and he grabs, grabs the word right away, and it's gone. Well, that really ought to make pretty much good sense to us, shouldn't it? If the word cannot land in a person's heart, if it cannot take root in that person's heart, then what's it going to do? Nothing. And Satan just takes it away. I think that's instructive for all of us. That as we are teaching, as we are preaching the word of God and instructing folks in the kingdom, we need to know at that very point that Satan is there, active. He is opposed to the word of the kingdom. That wicked one. I don't know that we often think about that. I don't. But I should. I need to give due space and to realize I need to be bathed in prayer. I need to be covered in prayer. I need to be prepared when I'm teaching or preaching on the word of the kingdom to know that the devil is right outside the doors here or maybe he's in here active and I mean, he didn't say the demons. He says Satan. The very one. Seeking to restrict the gospel of the kingdom. Well, in verse 16, we see that word these again. These, the ones where it's sown on stony ground... Likewise, he says, when they hear the word, they receive it with gladness, immediately. They immediately accept it, and look down there at the end of verse 17, but look what happens to them. Immediately they accept it, but immediately they stumble. And isn't that interesting? And why do they do so? He says, because of tribulation. Or persecution. They have no root either, just like the one sown on stony ground, just like the one sown on the, on the pathway. None of them have any roots. Nothing has taken place in order for the gospel to grow in that person's heart. It has to take root. And he says there, That when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake. Now, that's important for us to to know. Tribulation here, uh, I think some of the translations say affliction. It has to do with pressure, it has to do with stress and persecution. Persecution has to do with being harassed by the enemy about the believing of the gospel of the kingdom? Sure, they believed it. Immediately, it says, with gladness they believed and received the word of the kingdom. Now, Jesus doesn't give us a, a particularly a time element here, although we know that it takes time for seeds when they're sown to grow roots, to germinate to begin to grow roots down into the soil. So obviously, some people hear the word of the kingdom and it sits in their heart for a while. And they contemplate it. They mull it over. And they consider the ramifications and the truth of it. But then, then along comes Persecution. Affliction, pressure. From who? From outside. (laughs) Pressure, harassment from those outside. Remember the three groups here? The multitude, the disciples, and the twelve. Jesus is making a distinction here between the multitude. And the disciples. And he says there, for the word's sake. When Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that when a man goes to build a house, he needs to count the cost. And if he builds it upon solid ground or sand and so on. I think that's what he's seeking after here. And that we need to know that when we are contemplating and have, well, in this case even, have received the gospel of the kingdom into our hearts. then it's for us to know that it's going to be tested. It's for the word's sake that affliction and persecution comes. He tells us in verse 18 then in the third group you have the pathway seed you have the stony ground seed you have the ones sown among the thorns in verse 18. And they are the ones who hear the word. And just like the thorns which grow up, choke out the word, choke out the seed where it can't grow, so it chokes out the word of the kingdom. Well, what are the thorns of this world then? Well, he identifies them as the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things And when they enter in, now where do you suppose they enter in? If the word of the kingdom has entered to the heart, other things then enter into a person's heart. Like the desire for riches, the desire for other things in life, and it chokes it out. You cannot have all these things growing in your heart all at one time. It won't work. And the moment you let one of those things or any of those things into your heart in place of the gospel of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom, you can be sure that it's going to start crowding it out. And it's going to move away. And so we've had people, we've already had people up here at the beginning who it never even got into their heart in the sense that it had any place to take root. There was nothing to crowd out. Satan had come and snatched it away. But now we have the word growing in the heart, but now it's being pushed away and crowded out and choked. And he says, it becomes, it becomes unfruitful. You know, you're talking about stalks that have uh, wheat or barley that have come up. Choked. Pushed away by other cares. That's a scary thing. To think as a believer, as a Christian, that I allow these other things to get into my heart. That's why he calls them uh, the deceitfulness... Of riches. That's why Paul said in Philippians 3. To guard your heart. Protect it. Protect what's in there. What God has planted there. What God has put there. When you accepted it. As a matter of fact. In our very next case. In the the goods ground. Notice what he says in verse 20. But these. And notice the change there. Um. He says, these are the ones sown on good ground, those. He makes a distinction. It's a different word, a different Greek word. Those who hear the word receive it or accept it. They believe it. They take it into their heart and they bear fruit. Now, of course, after having heard about the first three, the implication is, is when they take it into their heart, they allow that and that alone to occupy their heart. It's these other things that get in and crowd it away. And if you don't think those things are real, I think probably a good many of us could name specific cases of people we know who have heard the gospel of the kingdom. They've heard it preached over and over. And in due time. They've left. And they no longer embrace. What the Lord taught his disciples. Right here. We also could probably name people that we know. If we ask them today. if Are you a believer? In the gospel of the kingdom? Oh, yeah, I still believe those things. But they don't attend a fellowship where they know the word of the kingdom is being taught. They've gone off and pursued other interests and other things have crowded into their heart, into their lives. And it's no more. It is no more the prominent thing in their life. And that's what Jesus started off with a parable teaching about the most prominent thing that ought to be in our own hearts. The word of the kingdom. So what happened after that then? He says, well, they bear fruit. They bear fruit. That's the whole idea. The wheat and the, and the barley, it grows all the way up, develops a full head of grain, and it multiplies. 30 times, 60 times, 100 times, he says in verse 20. How is it then that that happens? We'll turn over to Luke chapter 8 for a moment. Luke chapter 8. Now, this is Luke's account, of course, of the parable of the sower. In verse chapter 8 and verse 1, it says that Jesus went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings, or the good news, of the kingdom of God. And he began to teach them this parable again. In verse 5, a sower went out to sow seed. Well, we saw that with Mark's gospel. And I'm not going to read the rest of it because it, it parallels exactly what Mark taught. But finally, when Jesus goes to give the e- explanation, Mark includes a, a very important note in his account, and that's concerning the ones with the good soil. And so I want us to look at verse 15. But the ones that fell on the good ground, that is the seeds, the word of the kingdom that fell on good ground, are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Notice the condition of the soil in this person's heart. A noble and good heart. So out of these four different kinds of soil that Jesus mentioned, only one is able to be productive. Only one is able to produce fruit regarding the kingdom. Only one is able to produce any fruit that is acceptable to God and pleasing unto him and can multiply and reproduce. Reproduce. And that's the seed that's sown in the good and the noble heart. And notice what else he says. They keep it. They keep it. They bear fruit with patience. Well, of course, even sowing seed on good ground doesn't guarantee that it's just going to grow up overnight and produce fruit. I dare say many of us when we heard the word of the kingdom when we accepted that truth into our lives we didn't bear fruit immediately it took a while we had to absorb these truths we had to take time to grow we had to mature ourselves but in the end by being patient and enduring we were able to bear fruit now as the foundation parable for all the rest of the parables that Jesus is teaching His disciples, and especially the parables, I say, on this particular day that we find in Matthew chapter 13 and and Luke chapter 8 and here in Mark chapter 4, this parable will be instructive as to how we're going to understand all the rest of the parables. For how then will you understand, Jesus said, all the parables? Could I urge you today... Could I implore you today to open your heart wide, open your heart and receive this message. It is one of the most vital messages you could ever want to hear as a Christian, as a believer, as one who has all, just like these disciples, as one who has already met the Lord The Lord has already called them to be followers of His at this juncture and now He's teaching them about the word of the kingdom. That as a disciple, let us take care to receive that word and guard it and keep it and cultivate it and treasure it. Paul calls it this treasure we have in earthen vessels or in jars of clay. Don't let it go. It's way too valuable. Don't let the cares of this world drive you away, choke it out, fill your heart with all the cares of this life. Because in the end, you'll find that it's just not worth it. There isn't anything this world has to offer that can supersede what Jesus is offering us right here. Let's pray. Our Father, we do want to lift up our hearts in praise and thanksgiving for your might and your wonder and your goodness to us. Lord, this has been your plan from the very beginning concerning your kingdom. I pray, Father, that we would comprehend and understand the message of your own Son, Jesus, whom you sent with this message to convey to us the importance of it and what it's going to mean in the day of resurrection when we stand before you and we are judged of our Lord Jesus, as to our worth and value for that kingdom. God, stir and move our hearts today, I pray, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.